Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about the word boughten, a piece by Neil Whitman about valley girls and the word like, and a tidbit about German chocolate cake. Is it really from Germany? This week, a friend who goes by Lucky Strike on Twitter asked me about the word boughten. Lucky Strike's English teacher said boughten can be used in passive sentences, such as, this is something they have boughten me before. And although you can say that, and in some dialects people do say it, it is definitely not standard English. It was sometimes used in the past, but today it's only used in certain dialects, or sometimes poetically. Other than that, it's considered wrong. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage calls botan rustic and uneducated. The editors also have an unusually hard time pinning down botan's past use, Usually, they're great at describing how words were used in the past, but here they say they couldn't find specific proof that it used to be widely used, even though some sources say it was. Bought is the standard past participle of the verb to buy. So to fix Lucky Strike's sentence, you'd say, This is something they have bought me before. Sometimes people also use boughten as an adjective to describe something they got at the store as opposed to something they made at home. In that case, store-bought is a better choice. Say, I'll bring a store-bought cake. Although I don't feel confident that boughten was ever common in American English, I did find some interesting examples of other archaic en participles in Old British English. Mark Spurlock pointed me to an example of Chaucer using boughten and I found a book that said Shakespeare liked to use en participles. For example, he used thoughten, sweaten, and molten, molten to describe a bird that had molted. And the Oxford English Dictionary compares boughten to foughten, which they list as an obscure and rare form of fought that usually shows up in the phrase foughten fields. For example, their most recent citation is from J.G. Edwards in 1866. And it reads, quote, you will doubtless live to see many foughten fields, unquote. Finally, archaic words often survive longer when they're in set phrases. For example, we only really use baited in the set phrase baited breath, where it means abated. And this has happened a few times for adjectives that end in en. In his Worldwide Words entry on Boughton, Michael Quinium points to set phrases such as graven images and misshapen bodies. 
The bottom line is that today you should avoid boughten if you want to be thought of as speaking proper English. You should say that people have bought you something, or that you like store-bought pizza dough. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Next, I have a piece Neil Whitman wrote for me. Like, I've been doing this podcast for like eight years now, but there's like one language peeve that I've never thought to write about. So when a listener asked me about it, I was like, I can't believe we've never covered this before. As you've probably guessed by now, the complaint is about the overuse of the word like. However, before we can talk about that, we need to draw a few distinctions, because not all likes are alike. For example, if I were to say, I don't like this hat, it makes me look like a mushroom. Even the most conservative speakers would have no problem with like as a verb in I don't like this hat, or like as an adjective in look like a mushroom. The verb like and the adjective like are separate words. They have different meanings and are used in different places in a sentence. And although they're homonyms these days, they even used to sound different. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the verb like comes from the Old English lichion, while the adjective like comes from the Old English lich. The newer uses of like have different meanings too, and one linguist argues that they're actually four separate words, in the same way that like the verb and like the adjective are separate words. Alexandra Darcy of the University of Victoria in British Columbia wrote her dissertation on what she calls the vernacular functions of like, and has published a number of papers about them. Here, I'll summarize some of her points from a 2007 article in American Speech, which I'll link to on the transcript of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com, so you can find it if you're interested. The first function Darcy lists is sometimes called quotative-like, and it always occurs with a form of the verb be. I said it in my example sentence when I said, I was like, I can't believe we've never covered this before. A lot has been written about quotative like since it was first noted in the journal American Speech in 1982. Quotative like has a more general meaning than the verbs say or think, because it can cover both saying and thinking. If you say, squiggly was like, I'm out of here, that doesn't necessarily mean squiggly said it. It could mean that his behavior suggested that he wanted to leave. Furthermore, quotative-like even has the power to incorporate non-linguistic gestures into the grammar of a sentence. Listen, I'll do it now. I was like, it works better if you can see me, but right after I said I was like, I shrugged. Often, when some new word or usage becomes widespread enough to be noticed, there's a perception that it only started recently. But when linguists or lexicographers investigate it usually turns out to be much older than people thought. However, quotative-like is an exception. As Darcy found in her study, it really does seem to have begun in the 1980s. She found that speakers who would have been teenagers in the 1980s used quotative-like significantly more than older speakers, who hardly used it at all. Furthermore, it caught on much faster than the other vernacular uses of like, so that the teenagers of the 1990s and later use quotative-like in about half the situations where they could use it or say or think. 
Another popular perception about quotative like is that it originated with the stereotyped oh my god personality of the California Valley girl of the 1980s. Typically, when linguists investigate neat and tidy origins like this, they turn out to be false. But once again, quotative like is the exception. Darcy's research indicates that they may indeed have been the source of the quotative like, and in any case, it's certainly an Americanism. However, Valley Girls weren't the source of the other three vernacular uses of like, which have longer histories, and occur in dialects of English around the world. The second one that Darcy discusses is what she calls the approximate adverb like. I used it when I said, I've been doing this podcast for like eight years now. The like here modifies eight years and has pretty much the same function as the word about or the phrase more or less. She finds that this use of like was rare 75 years ago, but has increased a lot since then. And in the early 1970s, it passed about, which is on its way down. The third vernacular use of like in Darcy's analysis is as a discourse marker. In other words, at the beginning of a sentence, where a word such as well or so might go. Like is used as a discourse marker in, like, I've been doing this podcast for eight years. And this sentence sounds natural if I replace like with well. If I said, well, I've been doing this podcast for eight years. This use of like was already well established with the beat generation writers and musicians of the 1940s and 1950s. But Darcy also found examples of it from speakers in the United Kingdom who would have been using it early in the 20th century. But although like as a discourse marker isn't as recent as you might have thought, Darcy still finds that it's been steadily increasing for the last 60 years or so. The final use of like in Darcy's classification is as a discourse particle. I used like this way when I said, there's like one language peeve that I've never thought to write about. I put it right before the noun phrase one language peeve, but it can also go before verb phrases, adjective phrases, and other kinds of phrases, although Darcy only focused on these three kinds. She finds that like as a discourse particle has also been steadily increasing in use for the last 60 years, just as discourse marker-like has been doing. Now, personally, I don't see much difference between like at the beginning of a sentence, which Darcy calls a discourse marker, and like before smaller phrases, which she calls a discourse particle. Furthermore, the fact that they've both been increasing in usage at about the same rate suggests to me that they're the same word. However, there are some differences. For one, you can't easily replace the discourse particle like with a word like well. In my sample sentence, it would sound like this. There's well, one language peeve that I've never thought to write about. You can kind of make it work if you use the right intonation, but it's nowhere near as natural sounding as well, I've been doing this podcast for eight years. Darcy also shows another way that the discourse marker like is different from the discourse particle like. Women are more likely than men to use like as a discourse marker, whereas men are more likely than women to use like as a discourse particle. And this brings us to another popular perception that Darcy challenges, that women use like much more than men. Her finding is that the answer depends on which vernacular like you're talking about. For discourse marker like, yes, 
For discourse particle-like, no. For like is an approximate adverb, men and women are equally likely to use it. And for quotative-like, women are more likely than men to use it, at least in the speaker population that Darcy sampled. So some of the popular perceptions about vernacular-like are false, but some are true. Specifically, quotative-like is as recent as people thought it was, and it may well have originated with Valley Girls. Furthermore, Darcy speculates that the Valley Girl stereotype may have increased the usage not only of quotative-like, but also of the other vernacular uses, because of ordinary speakers' failure to notice the difference between the different functions. In any case, all this doesn't mean these variations of like are good or bad. In speech, occasionally using these versions of like can be a good thing. Studies have shown that speech that sounds too careful without any stumbles, pauses, or conversation fillers, such as like, um, and you know, can sound awkward, dogmatic, and unfriendly. On the other hand, of course you shouldn't overdo it, using like in every sentence, as I did in the opening of this section. Furthermore, all these uses of like are still considered informal, so if you're writing or speaking in a formal register, don't use them. That piece was written by Neil Whitman, who has a PhD in linguistics and blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. And now on to German chocolate cake. It's the holiday season, and if your family is like mine, they start breaking out the fancy desserts, the kind you only have once a year, like divinity, rum cake, and German chocolate cake. For the longest time, I thought German chocolate cake came from Germany. I wasn't sure why the Germans had such a fondness for coconut and pecans, but it was an easy thought to brush aside in the face of such chocolatey goodness. But it turns out that the Germans have nothing to do with German chocolate cake. Instead, it's named after Samuel German, an Englishman known as Sammy, who had come to Dorchester, Massachusetts, and eventually got a job at the Baker Chocolate Company, the first American chocolate factory. In the mid-1980s, Sammy German developed a special type of chocolate for bakers that had more sugar than the other chocolate the company was selling at the time. According to a history of the company, quote, Walter Baker bought the recipe for $1,000 and began marketing it as Baker's German's Sweet Chocolate, unquote. In 1957, a woman named Mrs. George Clay published a cake recipe in the Dallas Morning Star using Baker's German's Sweet Chocolate. Most sources say her recipe was called German's Chocolate Cake. But somewhere along the way, the apostrophe S got lost, and it became known as German chocolate cake. The cake was so popular that it caused a noticeable increase in chocolate sales for bakers. In 1964, the company redesigned the wrapper for German sweet chocolate bar and included the recipe for German chocolate cake. Since German chocolate cake is named after a person, you typically see the word German capitalized when German chocolate cake is written in a sentence. And that was your tidbit. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I definitely enjoyed researching the parts I wrote. And a big thank you again to Neil Whitman, who wrote the segment about the vernacular uses of like. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. If you have money left in your corporate training budget that you have to spend before the end of the year, check out my December 12th writing webcast. You can get all the details at bit.ly.com slash ggwebcast. That's all. Thanks for listening.
escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.